0: It is so unfair for one or two generations to go to the buffet and eat all the food and leave the rest of it empty for your kids when they come.
1: What's easier, raising a teenager or getting sightseeing?
0: Raising a teenager. Geordie BC, it is about bringing those of us who care about the economy together. It's really important that there be a forum for us to be able to unite.
1: All right. Welcome to another episode of Majority of BC, everybody. Uh, Co-hosting with me today for a very special guest is Nicole Paul, Jordan Schroeder, and myself, Ryan Pinio. And today with us, we have the 35th and longest serving female premier of British Columbia, Christy Clark. Thank you. Nice to be here. Um, How are you?
0: I'm I'm very good. It turns out post political life is a lot of fun. I loved that time. It was six and a half years, the greatest uh, experience I could ever have had in my life.
1: Heck of a ride, I'm sure.
0: Yes, yeah, it was. Jean Charest said this in the panel I did with him the other day at McGill. He said the most exciting, interesting stimulating thing he ever could have done with his life was to become the premier of Quebec and I feel exactly the same way about my experience I just don't think you know it's not the best paying job in the world you get a lot of negative feedback and all that kind of thing but holy cow it is a great job it's so fulfilling so hard but so fulfilling
1: well has the has has 36 reached out to 35 at all no never no no not once no (laughs) no if he called you would you take it of
0: course I would take it yeah
1: do you think that that happens much and you know like do you think Trudeau's ever called Harper do you think do you think that happens much or do you think it's kind of only if it's within the same party
0: I uh, know actually I think that it depends on the person so I think it depends on um kind of you know you think about Brian Mulroney for example he's reached out to uh Jean Cretchen, he reached out to, um, uh, to Justin. He's, you know, all that. Um, I don't know how close he was with Harper. I don't think they were very close, but I think it's sort of, it says a lot about Mulroney, the man. He was, he's a big man. Like he's a, he's big in his heart and his confidence and his everything, you know? And Cretchen I think is the same way, you know, kind of, he, they reach out to help. And it's funny actually when I, You asked me that question. I think about how it's actually leaders between parties who often don't reach out to each other. Like, you think about how much Martin and Crutchen had these just titanic battles, right? And Mulroney and Harper, again, like, it was a big split within the party between them. So I think it actually does happen quite a bit. Um, Yeah, but no, I mean... It's a pretty polarized place in B.C. too, right? I mean, the New Democrats really don't like B.C. liberals. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of—and, you know, I kind of think that they're— um, they, I think that what they believe is that everything that our government did was wrong, and even if they're going to do many of the same things, like build Site C or do LNG, that they're doing it differently somehow. I think they do believe that. So it makes it hard if you phone somebody, it's kind of like saying, you know, I respect your opinion enough to seek your advice.
2: Yeah, you have something of value. You have
0: something of value, yeah, and I think it would be kind of hard. That's, you know, kind of a – after all that they've been through at the hands of the BC liberals, I think it might be kind of hard for them. I I think
3: that's actually an interesting perspective, though, because even on the majority of BC Facebook page and the discussions that happen, I find that one of the things I'm constantly trying to remind people of is – you can't think that everything that a government is going to do is bad just because they aren't the party you support. I can look at what the NDP has done in their time in government, and I can think of some things that I go, you know what, I like that. I'm glad they've done that. And I think when you're so in the fold, it's so hard to take that step back and look at things objectively. And I think we have that problem on—there's definitely that problem on the left. There's that problem on the right. But it's a very polarized political cab. Uh, Political climate here yes. in British Columbia. So,
0: can that's a really so? Can I give you a good example of that from my recent experience, which is this Jody Wilson issue—that's this SNC Lavalin thing—and you know, it pains me to be defending a federal government that I don't think has been very good to Western Canada, um, and it—and I don't think was good to British Columbia when I was the premier. It pains me to defend jobs that are principally in Quebec when the mayor of Montreal stands up and says, you know, we want to dance on the grave of the oil sands and all the rest of it. But the fact is that there's a point of principle in that, which is those are 9,000 jobs that are people's jobs, like actual real people. And I say to my, so, you know, my conservative friends are all emailing me going, oh my God, I can't believe you're saying, you know, the thing is, is that I always say to them, well, what would you do? What if we had a prime minister that wasn't prepared to defend jobs? I'm not—it's not like it's—but it's, but I'm not constrained by this need to just attack everybody all the time anymore because I'm out of partisan politics. And I can just say, you know what, let's—I I don't know, expect everybody who's in it to put all that aside. I'm not in it anymore. And the thing is 9,000 jobs really matter, and I think it was the prime minister's job to fight for those jobs— And make sure that they were protected. Period. That's it. That's all. So that's the great thing about not being partisan. And you're right about that. We would live in a better place if we were able to talk to each other. And that's actually, can I just say this, Majority BC as a website, it is about bringing those of us who care about the economy together. We disagree on everything else, but that is, since 1952 and 1953, that's what we have been about. And so it's really important that there be a forum for us to be able to unite.
2: You, know, you mentioned um, uh, Trudeau and the, the federal government, and I think a lot of people associate you with commenting on BC politics. But as a First Minister, you obviously had a unique perspective of the entire country, and so I was wondering what you think of the, the unity of Canada as a whole, or you know, what you think the state of Canada is right now. Are we going through any particular problems with you know whispers of Alberta separatism coming up, or you have uh, the Quebec religious symbols bill that, that came up? Uh, there's, there's a lot of divisive things happening on the, on the national front right now, and I wanted to, to hear your perspective.
0: So I think some of that does reflect the world we're in today, where people are becoming more and more polarized. I mean, Britain is polarized. Hungary is polarized, Poland is polarized, Italy. the U.S. is polarized, Italy is— like, it's it's not just us, right? So I would say that's part of it. But I do also think that, um, you know, kind of more granularly, we are facing what could be the next national unity crisis. I think that the gap in understanding between who pays the bills and who gets the benefit of that and why they get the benefit of that and how they can continue to make sure those bills get paid— is really kind of the worst it's ever been, because Canada will not, we will not have a national Medicare program if we don't continue to support the growth in the oil sands and natural gas, but especially the oil sands in Canada. That's what pays the bills. That Alberta pays the bills, and BC's a net contributor still, at least for the next little while. What's going on, though? I mean, I spend, a, I'm, I co-chair the new School of Public Policy at McGill, so I'm in Quebec a lot, and I talk to Quebecers. All the time. And they like they it's not like they don't wanna get it. It's just that nobody's talking about it, how much money we all depend on from Alberta and how vital it is that we we all continue to support that, right? You can't kill the golden goose and there it's uh it can't go on like this. The country cannot continue to function like this. The other thing is to remember this. Economies, provincial economies, are what build Canada. Each economy is completely different in our national world in Canada. And federal government has no idea what's going on in our provincial economies. They don't have any hands on the things that we're doing. And what they would do if they were smart is, say, as Harper did and as Kretchen did, uh, hands off. Let's let them figure it out. They'll send the money to us and we'll figure out how to blow it on a whole bunch of stuff that, you know, (laughs) may not matter. (laughs) 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 um...
3: Which is the reason that I'm more interested in provincial politics than (laughs) federal politics. Me too.
1: (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I I find provincial elections usually to be more fascinating too.
3: Well, the issues that matter, like to me, are all decided. Education, healthcare, and how that is implemented in the province, that's decided yeah. at the provincial level. I don't really level. care what the
1: prime minister's opinion on Trump is, to be honest. <laughs> like, like, it's not like, what are you going to do if you love him? What are you going to do if you hate him? Like, and
3: I'm not saying defense isn't important, but like, we're Canada. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although now with the, the exactly. transfer
2: payments increasing so much for the Canada health and social transfer, it's almost like the provinces are getting less and less power over those things, uh, as the federal government can kind of pull strings and say, you know, if you don't run your health system this way, uh, we're going to end up pulling back some of the money. Did you ever find that as, as well, premier? Well,
0: let's be clear here. The feds contribute 20%. Like, if all the rest of it is funded by provincial taxpayers. Like, it's, and it's, it's, an, it's a national disgrace the way they're running healthcare, And this isn't exclusive to the federal liberals, the federal conservatives, everybody. They're all... And what they... Because when the bargain was made to have a national healthcare system, it was 50-50. And now the feds are not 50-50. They're 20... Like, imagine that, right? You get married. Okay, you're going to do the dishes and I'm going to do the cooking. Well, the next thing you know, you're doing both. Plus, you're looking after the kids. Plus, 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 right? And taking out the garbage. Well, kick the bum out. Yeah. You know? So I kind of... It's... That's a big problem in the country. And then they still say, well, we're going to, you know, if you don't do it exactly as we want, we're going to penalize you. There was Ralph Klein, uh, legend has it, when Alberta was doing really well, had a plan to just say, we're not taking any federal money for health care. We're going to build our own health care system. And then you'll have no strings to pull. We're going to do whatever we want. And it didn't happen. You know, I'm not sure oil prices stayed high long enough or he was around long enough, but, um, you know in this country provinces cannot innovate and because we cannot innovate we cannot lower the cost of health care overall and the federal government keeps backing out of paying for it so what you've got ultimately is longer waiting lists courtesy of the federal government you've got less fewer things covered by pharmacare courtesy of the federal government you've got less home care courtesy of the federal government all of that because they say the provinces need to do more, they fund it less, and the provinces can't find any way under the Canada Health Act to actually innovate and make it better.
2: And then it leads to a bunch of confusion at election time, too. Like, nobody knows who to hold accountable for our subpar health care system. And I was pitch this to you see what you think do you think it would be better for the federal government to like completely decrease one type of tax like let's say the gst added up to the whole canada health and social transfer eliminate the gst have the provinces all raise it on their end so there's no net increase or decrease of taxation then they're raising 100 percent of the revenue of themselves and they could Hopefully, build their provincial health care system themselves.
0: Well, the, it, so there's, there's, some, there's some value in that. The, there is a big problem, though, which is different provinces have different ability to be able to, capacity to be able to raise that money. So, the idea of equalization, which I support, is that we, you know, the provinces that are wealthy, like British Columbia, we pay in overall to support social programs that are at a reasonably comparable level in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, places like that that can't afford it. And it, that's part of what Canada is, right? That's, I feel okay about that. Same way I don't mind paying taxes to support people who are less well-off in our own province. So that's the problem with that. You would, if, if you confine it to one tax and you just say, it, you'd have a system kind of like what they have in the US with schools, where they raise money locally for the school, rich neighbourhoods have great, great schools, schools, poor neighbourhoods have lousy like schools. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you want to? I mean, I see that the point you're making uh, makes some sense. That's the issue you got to get around. I think. I actually think that um, what the federal government needs to do is needs to back off all the threats in the Canada Health Act and allow provinces to innovate. To say, look, we're going to let each of you try and do this a little bit your own way.
1: What would be an example? And then you can learn from each other.
0: Well, I mean, look at, look at Quebec has more private clinics than anywhere else in the country. British Columbia has the second most private clinics anywhere else in the country. And what it, that has done is it's meant that people get off the waiting list. You know, somebody who can afford it gets off the waiting list. Somebody who can't afford it gets, gets moved up on the waiting list. It's like private schools. Only every one, every one of those kids is only 50% funded. But every parent of those children is paying for the public system plus paying 50% of their child's cost in a private school. Takes them out of the public system, and it means that there's more money for the the public. Like, you know, you got to find a balance there, but it has been... The Canada Health Act is just a really difficult constraint that's going to have to be dealt with because either Alberta's going to have to produce three times as much money, (laughs) or we're going to have to... um, change healthcare in the, co- in the country. Because it means healthcare continues to grow, no money for environmental protection, no money for child protection, no money for education. Think of all the things that we will give up because we want to continue to pay for the most expensive per capita healthcare system in the world except for the United States.
3: So maybe bringing things a little closer to home again, and maybe uh, going back in time a little bit, because I know Christy, you were very involved when the BC Liberal Party was first becoming a party in the 1990s, and bringing this party together, and then and bringing the center right together more so, and then looking. That's actually not true.
0: Okay, well, in 1991, we were part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> However. The whole thing was going to hell in a handbasket anyway. Like, the NDP were going to win the election. Rita Johnson was leader of the the social credit. The the whole party was just demolished, right? So the Liberals came in, and it was... BC Liberals came in, and it turned out to be okay, but it was... You know, splitting... We were actually not trying to bring the vote together at that time. We were trying to, boom, come in as the... As the new voice. As the new voice, and we were successful in that. So I just wanted to... Well, I was born in 91, so... (laughs) If this was if my drink was empty, I'd throw it at her. <laughs> I was born in eighty six, so old man.
3: But so, I yeah. I was wanting to ask you a little bit about um, the process of bringing the centre right together because I think um, it was also something that uh, you dealt with a bit when you first became leader of the BC Liberals because I think every you were very much viewed as a federal liberal coming in and there was definitely resentment and. It was a weird resentment because, like, everyone who's part of this party probably has a federal affiliation. But and then looking today at kind of in the wake of some of the conversations around the referendum and whether the center right would stay together and what that means, what do you think is the way forward for uh, the center right in British Columbia and how do we maintain that unity?
0: yeah. So it's, it's uh, I'm worried about that. I always worry about that. I mean, remember, though, I was the first person who was believed to be, although I hadn't been active in federal politics in years, but of course I'm a woman and my husband was a federal liberal, so people assumed that I was too. But it was the first time that anyone who wasn't clearly a federal conservative had been the leader of the party. So that felt threatening to people. Um, anyway, um, I think it was something that I was really concerned about in 2011 and 2012. And so we worked you know, way over time to try and bring provincial conservatives on side. Because, you know, for us, um, we all know this. Like there the NDP base vote is thirty five percent. The only way you don't end up with a BC NDP government is if everybody else doesn't vote NDP that's how it works
3: did Mike McDonald just walk into the room
0: because I think he's lectured me on this so many times but it's just (laughs) true and you know the challenge we're facing now is we were in government for 16 years and we were a successful government for 16 years and there's kind of this notion that well you know any idiot can do it right it's actually a lot harder than that, and um, I'm concerned. I'm all. I, this is a I constant think the NDP is finally
3: realizing that
0: it's not something that. Yeah, because the, here they are. They're killing the greens, right? Yeah. I mean, Andrew Weaver has just been completely <laughs> Borged into the, you know, or whatever the Borg yeah. ship, that big block, black block like thing. It? He's been assimilated.
1: assimilated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, completely right. And so
0: there's
3: campaign like on
1: more like blue ice over the ocean falling out of the plane.
3: I have no clue what that reference is. Right?
1: Let's
0: just move on. on. Yeah, I think we'll move on. I I, 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 I have, I know what you're talking about, but I, I don't feel like. Anyway, um, so you know, they've, they they It appears that they're on track to clean up their problem on the left, mm-hmm. their vote split problem, and then so what are the BC Liberals going to do around that? And I don't know. I mean, time will tell. You have to. People, voters are going to have to decide. It, you know, as you said at the very beginning of this, there's no party that 100% represents what you believe. So let's remember no. our core values are this. And I say this to MLAs who phone me and they're mad about something or whatever. You know, I do a little counseling and therapy with people. I say to them, I don't give a, I don't care about this X, Y, Z. You got elected with a core mission, and your core mission was to build an economy and to create jobs for people. So forget everything else that we disagree on. Mm-hmm. That is who we've been since the 1950s, since WAC Bennett created our party. So can we please get back to fundamentals here, because the province is going, not going to succeed otherwise. And I think we have to worry about that. I worked. I can't tell you how much work I put into that, and it was absolutely worth it, because we won.
2: Yeah, I think that's a major problem these days, where people, they, they don't see political parties as this mass compromise. They see, like, their ideology as, like, having a monopoly on truth. I think that's true. And so anything that's outside of that is, like, is just this, this, uh, it, it's not an allowable compromise that they can do, because, you know, that that's what the truth is, my, my political party and my beliefs. And uh, I think... I think we're really losing something that we could be getting in our party if we believe that everyone else has more valuable ideas and they see things from a different perspective, right? Uh, Seeing political parties as like the, or ideology as the perspective from which you search for the truth instead of them being the truth itself. Exactly.
0: That's exactly right. And I just, you know, for all of your listeners, it's so important to remember the things we have in common now more than ever because when you're in opposition it is so easy to fly apart and complain and all that stuff. Andrew's done a great job holding that caucus together in difficult times. BC Liberals are way harder to unite cuz we're way more independent minded than New Democrats, <laughs> right? I mean, we are. We're just yeah, that makes right? Sense. We're different. Yeah. We're different and we value debate and we and we actually probably it. have more in common but we like pay
3: attention to those yes. differences in a very strong-headed way. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's always who we've been yeah. as a party and actually, I think, been fundamental to our strength. But again, it's our weakness in many ways. And so we have to be aware of that. And we have to remember the things we share in common. And that is, we want to have lo- less debt for our children to take on. We want to have lower taxes because we know that grows the economy. We know that jobs are the best route to a happy family and a love and a successful life and a great community. Um, and it's not a complicated recipe to get there. Those are the things we believe in. And let's feel free to disagree on everything else, but don't let that mean that we're not going to be B.C. liberals together.
3: Can I ask you just one question on that, though, then? Because I think one of uh, the challenges for BC Liberals right now is that we're seen as focusing so much on the economy and jobs and those those things that do unite us that we sometimes have appeared to be insensitive on the issue, on social issues. And to me, the reason I'm a BC Liberal is because I care about a strong economy because I want all of society to be better off. I am so happy to actually pay taxes if that means that someone else is getting out of poverty and doing better. And I do think that there's that balance in our society that needs to be met, and I, I'm wondering, do the BC Liberals have a federal call it a federal liberal problem? Call it a urban issues problem. How do we start to relate to those issues and start to bring back that more centrist side of our vote? Because let's be honest, we aren't winning any more seats in rural British Columbia. If the BC Liberals want to govern again, they're going to need to pick up some seats in mm-hmm. in urban British Columbia.
0: And so I think the solution for that, um, and you know, it, it's it's this isn't going to be widely lauded my view of this because I know that the throne speech that we introduced um, in 2017 was uh, that got trashed by the media and you know the NDP driven bots out there but if you go look at it it was a fiscally conservative throne speech with all kinds of investment in people and I think that's I think that's a pretty good roadmap for BC liberals to follow now and it wasn't like we weren't doing that no, stuff. No, we it's just, just didn't we, talk about we it. We weren't getting heard when we did talk about yeah. it. Yeah. And um, so I think, you know, I think one of the key things in that, I would say, would was this massive investment in transit infrastructure, which makes cities so much more livable. It allows you to build a lot more density in housing, so it affects housing prices. Mm-hmm. And it's a good climate change solution. It creates thousands and thousands of jobs in the lower mainland. That... Is one example from that throne speech, which to me is a conservative idea, with a great, uh, multiple great social outcomes, and there's a number of those in the, in that. So I would, I mean, I know it, <laughs> you know, it it sort of sounds like I can't give up on the on the the that last big idea, but I actually do think it's a Maybe good place to back. start. I think it's a good place to start. I mean, you gotta. I think BC Liberals have to acknowledge that we didn't talk about those things enough. We did them. I mean the poverty levels went down, number of women single moms working was vastly improved. I mean there were some great numbers that came from the but you know you can't talk in statistics. You got to talk But to the people, other right? side
1: of what Nicole said too then would be there's a million people around in the, well, not a million people, but <laughs> there's a a few fair, a fair few people up in the north in the Fort St. John's of the world and stuff who would say, oh, we're too liberal. We got to get rid of the name and we got to stop. And, and like, so I, I feel like there needs to be some, some kind of agree to disagree on both sides. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just kind of take the temperature down a little bit, like. Right now, everybody, I feel like everybody's really revved up because there's uh, NDP government in Alberta and uh, Trudeau and Ottawa, and it's just kind of it can get hot, but we kind of need to step back and remember who we what, uh, what the goal is and, and who we are and why we're here.
0: Yeah, I think um, I think you know the reality of electoral politics today is doesn't reflect the reality of the economy today because the fact is, rural canada does more than its fair population share of supporting the rest of us you know you want to know why there's a cancer treat you know one of the best cancer treatment systems in the world here do you want to know why we have this fantastic women's and children's hospital here do you want to know like all that stuff it's because we have oil and gas and mining and forestry and these rural communities in hunter mile and and Fort Saint john who cont- contribute more than their fair share However, electorally, I mean, Vancouver does its bit too. It's a different thing that we do here, but um, I, electorally, it's Vancouver and the suburbs that elect governments. So I think there's kind, of, there has to be, and there always has been, a mutual recognition that, and it's kind of an uneasy piece, really. You know, the rural-urban split's a little like the conservative-liberal split. It's an uneasy piece that we find recognizing that it's not going to be a perfect outcome for any of us, but not having an NDP government in power that's going to leave massive debt for our kids and jack up taxes and kill the economy and really hurt families, I think I can live with an uneasy, imperfect peace instead of that.
1: Fair, that's, that's beautifully put. Um, why don't we move on? Why don't you tell me about your skiing, Ryan? I, well, we're, we're actually, it's, it's coming up here. Oh, is it? I was actually going to ask you. He skis um, in
0: a suit. Does everybody know that?
1: Yeah, ma'am, so. oh. man, Seymour Suitman on Insta. I love it. What about in terms of uh, former staffers or people that worked <laughs> under you throughout all the years? You know, there's two that really stand out athletically. And, like, they get along pretty well together, Seymour Suitman and Shane Mills. But, I mean, the fans and the haters, they want to know, like, who, who do you think is more impressive? Shane doing the Boston Marathon or 100 days skiing in a row? Because, I mean, they're pretty unique and, like, they both have a lot of fans. Like I said, like, Shane and I, we, we got a lot of, lot of respect. We're, we're all right with then each other.
0: Then why are you but... asking that question?
1: Well, I just, I mean. <laughs> I
0: feel like. The fans want to know. I feel like know. if you had a lot of respect, you wouldn't ask that question. Well, it's just
1: the fans want to know.
0: Well, I I don't think they do. I I don't think the fans want to know.
1: Ouch. (laughs) (laughs) Big oof.
0: And where are you skiing?
1: Seymour. Oh, I
0: mean, mean, it's not like you're doing, you know, triple black diamond up at Blackcomb.
2: Okay, well, let's talk about your time as as Premier a little bit. Uh, Do you have your... Favorite accomplishment? Where do you think you still resonate in uh, in uh, BC government?
0: I don't know about the second question, but on the first one, LNG, for sure. LNG and Site C. I mean, those were two projects that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't been, been in government from 2011. It took us so long to get them both done, especially LNG, and it's, even the NDP couldn't stop them. What's I mean, they could have, and they didn't. What? Or maybe they could have.
1: What's easier, raising a teenager or getting Site C approved?
0: Uh, raising a teenager
1: wow yeah because
0: you know what kids you I mean you might not do a good job but it still happens like you can't really stop it That's it's true. one of those the kids yeah. born it's already past the point of no That's return true. also but, less expensive <laughs> you, well as a percentage of your income it's, it's it may yeah the math is different but it's.
2: <laughs> but is uh is getting C approved harder than even like the long-term teachers contract yes Wow. it was really hard
0: yeah well there were so many lawsuits all the first nations issues all the cost issue. I mean, it just, the, the thing about Site C um, is it was so carefully, the fiscals on it were really carefully managed and put together. So um, BC Hydro or the contractors were each responsible for any possible overruns, and it was a big financial penalty. So fitting all of those together kind of so that it all worked, and then remembering, you know, figuring out when nesting season was for the rare bird, right, and figuring out when the First Nations were going to be fishing and figuring out, you know, like there's just all of these multiple things that needed to be layered on. Um, Jess McDonald and Susan Yurkovich, who who did this together at BC Hydro, I just can't, I can't believe that they got it, that they did such a good job. And of course then, you know, the government changed and the NDP got it delayed and just that delay cost about $2 billion dollars. Like that's how tight oh, the thing was. That's not that much
1: money, is it? <laughs> Ryan, no,
2: it's coming from my pocket. It's a lot of money. Yeah.
0: So <laughs> I'm I mean, gonna it, spare too, Bill. It just tells you how tough that was to do. But the tougher thing was LNG because it was federal, provincial governments, all the First Nations agreements that needed to be made out of nothing. Right. Remember, site C has been worked on for fifty years, mm-hmm. and no government had ever done it. There was lots of talk about it. It was a confined area. First Nations were well known, you know, all their It's almost like the northern plan.
1: bridge to the island.
0: Yeah, <laughs> a little bit, yeah. And island. it's a little more contained in where you're going to where you're going to drive, you know, create controversy. Yeah, I'll tell you oh. one
3: of my favorite things about Sightsee is that. that without it, how would the NDP be accomplishing their new climate plan? If you're looking at wide-scale implementation of electric vehicles, if you're looking at electrifying LNG, if you're looking at all these things that are key parts to the NDP's climate plan, if they had not approved that project, there's no way they could be committing to any of these emission reductions, which, by the way, a lot of which were already committed to before. That's right, because <laughs> the, <laughs> the, Wait, the climate basically plan... Basically the same plan. Yes, is <laughs> the same plan,
0: except that there's a, there are a few tripwires in the new climate plan, which would make could make it impossible for... LNG. So there, there is a kind of a skepticism out there that the NDP are one and done on LNG. They wanted to prove that they could do it and, on one and then say to all their friends on the left, you know, uh, the non-union left to say, well, but I mean, hopefully that's not true. I know that that skepticisms out there, but it does seem to me like the current climate plan will need to be revised in order to make sure that we can make LNG happen. What, what happens we, oh,
1: if we get our taps turned off?
0: I guess oil prices or gas prices are going to go up, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, does he is he able to do that? I'm not well, sure. Well, that's what I'm
1: kind of... Yeah. Just well, talking about the LNG kind of got me thinking of a, a I don't big Albertan complaint about British Columbians is that we're always huge on LNG and then uh, we're anti their oil, which I totally understand and I can totally empathize with.
0: And, you know, the thing about it that's so bizarre is the um, kind of the foreign-funded... Environmental groups have sold this whole thing on if you we don't if we don't have a pipeline we shut down the oil sands, it's and that is a uh, that is just it's a lie that a lot of people have bought into um, through all these fundraising and these mass appeals that they do. The fact is, the oil sands are continuing to produce more oil, except that we are shipping it down to America. We're all these, you know, apparently Donald Trump is not that popular with the people that want to shut down the oil sands, but we're sending it down there, creating those jobs and they're making the profit off it. So shouldn't we keep that money in Canada to support this country, to support our healthcare system which is best in the world and is an example to America, and create jobs for Canadians in the most ethical oil sector in the world?
2: Do you have uh, any unfinished business from an office? Something you would have liked more time on?
0: Well, I mean, I sure would have liked to have gotten more LNG projects. I mean, when the government, as soon as the government changed, Petronas pulled out because they, they were scared of what the new government was going to do. So that was a, that was a drag because it would have been great to double the LNG capacity in BC just like that. Well, not just like that, but it would have been good to do it. And then, so all of those other LNG projects that are at risk or not happening now. I think that's regrettable for sure. Um, I think the whole issue with Kinder Morgan is a disgrace to the country. I mean, it's just terrible what's happening. It's just, um, it's so terrible for our relations with our best friends in the country, in Alberta. But it's also just so short-sighted when it comes to the interests of the country. And um, so I I really regret that that happened because we'd approved it.
2: Yeah, we it's had uh, legal. we had Jock Finlayson on the show uh, for the first episode I was ever on the show, and he's the vice president of the Business Council of BC, and he said that in the business community, in the international community, uh, Canada has gained the reputation of the pla- as the place where large projects it's go to thing. die. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and I that's think that's
0: truer in British Columbia than anywhere else in Canada, because partly because of the Kinder Morgan decision, which proved the private sector can't do it, right, but the public sector can. And then the LNG decisions. And remember, I mean, the Petronas deal had the Indians in for six billion dollars. It had the it had Chinese in it. It had Chinese investment. In it. it had uh, Brunei investment in it. It had I'm trying to remember um, the range of investment. It was pretty broad. And you know, when a project like that fails, people, Prime Minister Modi notices. Mm-hmm. So that I mean, I think reputationally it's been a struggle for Canada ever since I became premier but we did I think differentiate British Columbia. I think
1: even before that I mean we couldn't even build the Canada line without them going nuts right? That's true. Remember the the Olympic boondoggle?
0: Yeah I know Canada line turned out okay at the end of the day didn't it? Yeah could have been bigger. Yeah you know Yeah. I know I just so I but these huge long-term tax-producing job creating jobs are so vital. Yeah. for Canada. So I think if there was something that I regret, I guess it would be going backwards on resource projects and um, going backwards on job creation, like the really meaningful job creation. Um, you know, we all see the national economy slowing down. British Columbia's economy is slowing down. We have started to see for the first time employment numbers sliding. Uh, it's the first time in a long time we've seen that. That's, and you know, debt's going to continue to grow. And that's, I, 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 as a longer ter- as a long-term thinker, um, investment really matters and debt really matters, because our kids, your kids, even though you're young and Ryan, you'll eventually meet somebody who wants to. <laughs> um, <laughs> he those owns a home, folks. <laughs> are going to, um, so it's it's just not. I know it's like not sexy and fun to talk about it. Nobody likes talking about it. Nobody's interested in it particularly. I just think it is so unfair for one or two generations to go to the buffet and eat all the food and leave the rest of it empty for your kids when they come after. And that is exactly what we are doing. And, you know, this healthcare system is so great. My kid, your kids for sure, are not going to have a universal healthcare system because of the way we are governing in Canada, not just in British Columbia. And I just think it's just so selfish it drives me crazy, and uh, I, that's, I think, ultimately, LNG would be great to have more, jobs would be great to have more, but I just think what the mess
2: we're going to leave for our kids is really something we should be ashamed of. We had one, one last question for you. Do you have uh, any any further political ambition?
0: No, no. There's lots of other people that can do a fantastic job. and. With new thinking and new eyes, and you know, maybe they won't go back to the last throne speech. They'll come up with a whole new one that's even better, right? So, um, I feel like my 15 years in public life's a lot, and um, I loved it. And I'm, so, I'm just kind of done with it now. I, I love watching what's going on.
1: All right. So we've got kind of housekeeping based on that. Well, uh, actually, one, one thing: if Hamas ran, who would be the manager? You or Mark? <laughs>
0: You know, people said that, you remember Mark came out, my ex-husband came out and said he was running on April Fool's I Day. I did see that. that. Yeah, so people might have seen that on his Facebook page. And it was like, I'm running in Vancouver, Granville. And all these people were answering, you know, you should do it, you should do it, you should do it. And somebody, somebody said, you know, I think Mark was just doing that to build a list of campaign workers for Hamish when he eventually runs. <laughs> <laughs> Hamish doesn't have any plans to go into politics, and I'm not encouraging it. He saw... You know, he really saw the worst of it. You know, the thing is, is when you go through, when your people are trashing you and you're in politics, you're sitting there thinking, "Yeah, but I'm doing awesome things. I'm feeling good about this. I'm changing people's lives. Yeah. Whatever party you're from, right? Yeah. That's what you're thinking.
2: And you got so, a thick skin. Yes, yeah,
0: so you're getting all the good out of it, which is all that fulfillment, right? For him, all the, all the kids are getting is. You know, your parents are never home. Everybody's trashing them. You get <laughs> you get yelled at at the hockey rink by the players on the other team. You know, <laughs> your stupid mother or father or whatever. And it's yeah. just like all they get is the not fun part. And so I'm I think that's why um, a lot of kids don't go into what politics. happened to Justin. Well, how often did he see his dad? I mean, ask yourself that, right? He lived with his mom, so he experienced. He experienced politics from a distance in a way that I that Hamish didn't or that maybe Brad Bennett didn't right because we were living at home with the parent who was in politics right so I mean that's not any any comment on Justin it was just a completely different experience I think right and so, no
1: social media
0: and social media has changed it a lot yeah. yeah and for kids like he lived on social media way more than I did
1: yeah. I've been on a bit. I mean, I don't know if any listeners know, but I mean, if you just go to at Suitman on Instagram, you'll find me right there. <laughs> Anyways, um, be, before I started skiing a hundred days in a row, so I'm running a little low. I traveled a, a, the world a lot and I would always buy weird culinary treats for guests. So I got uh, some Lobo green curry paste mm. straight out of Bangkok. Love that. that. Is, uh, and then I, I didn't want to be weird. So I brought you the matching coconut milk.
0: Fantastic,
1: but you know I didn't bring the chicken because I thought that might start to smell.
0: That is so great. Yeah. Fifty calories for four tablespoons in the coconut milk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the curry paste.
1: I mean, th- there is English on there somewhere.
0: There is. Yeah, there's shrimp in it. You think it survived?
1: No, I mean like you can add shrimp.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, you know what? I love curry.
1: There you go. It's like
0: my it's my favorite food. Is it really? Yeah. I've never been to Thailand, but of course, India is my Uh, Mumbai is my favorite city in the world, so lots of good curry there.
1: Nice. Thank you. That's really nice. Yeah, no worries. Would you ever get back into broadcasting?
0: No. Really? So, here's what I'll say about broadcasting that was frustrating, is that all you do is you're mostly complaining about things. And it's a necessary thing, right? In journalism, that's kind of what they do. That's their job. But, because I'd been in politics before, I knew how fulfilling it was to do things rather than talk about other people doing things. And so I found that part of it frustrating, although I really liked it. I mean, thing I liked about it was I was in talk radio, so I would hear from actual regular people all the time. And it was really fun. Like that part of it is worth it, is really, really worth it. But it was, um, you know, how I used to say to them, I am not, I am going to Go on strike if you ever ask me to talk about gas prices again. Because that's all, I mean, isn't that all they talk about yeah, on radio? It's like, totally gas true. prices have gone up. Yeah, we know gas prices have gone up. Yeah, this I is know. where monopolies, our collusion. I drive it's to like, a
1: mountain every day.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, exactly. Don't you think you should be more environmentally sound than that?
1: Well, I mean, that's a st- maybe that's why no one's picked it up. Anyways, that uh, we'll leave it there. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's enough.
0: <laughs> well, it was a pleasure, really, to be with Thanks you. Thanks so much. Thank yeah, for yeah, thank you so for much me. for coming. Yeah.
1: Um, the thirty-fifth premier of British Columbia, Christy Clark.